Hello and welcome to the Red Olive Fibonacci podcast, the podcast all about data and analytics, where we hear from leading specialists and get their take on the industry. I'm your host, Nikki Rudd. Today, I'm joined by Barry McNulty from Epictetus Solutions. Barry's most recently been focused on working with executive leadership teams in the social housing sector. He's a senior leader who has delivered organisational improvements covering all data management disciplines from data-affiliated strategy development to implementation of the changes required, with a particular emphasis on analytics, data governance, data architecture and data integration implementation. Our conversation touches on several of these points. What are we waiting for? Let's find out more. Barry, lovely to catch up with you. So obviously, I feel like I've known you for a million years because I think when we first ever spoke, it was in the pandemic. So that <laughs> it feels like forever ago. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Red Olive Fibonacci podcast. We always like to start by just trying to find out how you got into the role that you are in now. So do you want to tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to be working in data? Thank you. And thanks for the invite as well. I really appreciate it. Where do I start? So I did an economics degree at university. So I didn't come through the more conventional route these days, which is quite often computer science, data science route into going into technology and data. My first sort of job in the outside world, outside of university was being a management trainee. It was a great, really interesting role. I was able to spend time across many, many different parts of technology within the industry of this one particular firm and had a great time. So that's what gave me the first starter, the first taster for working with systems, with technology, with data. After that couple of years, after spending a little bit of time away traveling, I spent a tiny bit of time actually living and working in Canada. When I was back in the UK, I sort of fell into a role in what was the investor in social housing at that time, an organization called the Housing Corporation. And they were the precursor to what is now Homes England. And they had a regulatory responsibility as, as well as investment responsibility at that time as well. But my role was as an analyst. And my job was to solve problems in its simplest sense. So whether it was, for example, what kind of forecast are we expecting in terms of homes to be completed in a particular region of an area or how much expenditure we're expecting to see, you know, those kind of basic reporting things, but putting more of an insight on top of that. So jump ahead massively in terms of where my career went after that. I stayed with the housing corporation for seven or eight years, I think it was, moved into different roles, wasn't always an analyst. I was focused on modeling within that role. It was more around trying to model behavior, model data in order to see whether particular scenarios were going to happen or not, but also started to work within management roles as well. So gaining experience on that side, understanding what it meant to be a manager and a, and a leader during that period. So had a great time there. But when you work for government agencies or, or sort of next to civil service, one of the frustrations that you can have is about the amount that's invested into the area that you work inside. So I've sort of made a, a sideways move, uh, stayed in social housing, but went on the other side of the fence. So away from the investor and the regulator and actually started working for a housing association. So I worked for the Hyde Group for about 10 years in a variety of different roles. So I was focused on BI for a while, but then I worked in first leadership role within Hyde, which was head of strategy and business intelligence. So great opportunity for me because it meant 
rather than just be the person who really cared deeply about all the BI dashboards and reporting solutions and data warehouse and all those sort of things, it needs to be a little bit more strategic than that. So thinking about how to deliver the corporate plan, thinking about how other strategies within the organization were needed to be reflective of that corporate plan, needed to be connected to it, feed into it. But always with this underlying data should be the thing that we're using in order to provide the evidence that we need to actually deliver the things that we say we're going to deliver. Data-driven decision-making, let's call it, which is a term that's been around for a very, very long time, but I think it's still correct and still something that we should bring to the attention of our exec teams because gut feel was great and experience is great, but if you've got some data to also support that, then that's a very powerful thing overall. After doing this for quite a while, I was able to work with the first CIO at Hyde, bring in the first data strategy, got some advice through uh, friends and colleagues around how to do it. But the pitch was, let's bring in some data governance to the organization. These are the benefits that we're going to get out of it in terms of saving of administration time. We'll have more assurance from a regulatory point of view if we've got a better control over our data. So at one stage, we worked with one of the larger management consultancies to bring in a, a large-scale information governance program, which was not just about potentially what you might have seen as niche outcomes, which would be things like the enterprise data model for the organization, better analytics overall, improved data quality outcomes in terms of better monitoring and, and control. Rather than just that, it was more of a cultural approach as well. So. Certainly no experience that I'd had before, but working alongside this management consultancy, part of which was to say to the organization, this is why data is important to you. This is why you need to understand your responsibilities as an individual who works in this organization in terms of the way that we look after and care for it and use it overall. So really good cultural approach to bringing that understanding into the organization which i think really helped but also raised a load of challenges as well because once you've got more people who are that little bit more literate who have that little bit more of a deep appreciation understanding they're going to be asking for more as well more access better access more assurance you know all of those things that come with being able to use data in order to drive decisions across the organization so that brought me sort of right around to the end of my time at Hyde as well. And after being a pest for so long with various CEOs and leadership team and bosses during that time, just to push the data management agenda, I really enjoyed doing it. And what I wanted to do was take what I'd done at Hyde and share some of that. So I sort of started out on my own as an independent data management consultant. And um, that's what I've been doing ever since. It's interesting hearing the story there, because I think there are so many different considerations when you think of a data project and, and who needs to be involved and how you get that sort of value at the end. So, you know, you're saying about the management side of it and actually how that sort of shift of becoming a data-driven business. There's the kind of change of people accepting actually, yeah, yeah report's not working, but it's not anybody's fault. It might actually just be that it's a process that needs to be reviewed. Changes in technology. I mean, how things are sort of pushing. So 
Yeah, I'm going to ask this later, but maybe I'll ask now. So if I had to say, okay, well, it's data quality versus AI machine learning, where do you feel you're kind of like, oh, no, this is most important, actually? That's exactly where the question needs to be as well. So if you're looking at data strategy, for instance, so a lot of organizations now will be going, okay, well, what do we have? We've heard about this. Do we have one at the moment? No, we don't. We probably need one if everyone's talking about it. So that's great. So the conversation started. Why? Why do you need one? What's it for? And that's when it comes down to what is it that we're trying to solve? What are the problems that we have that we need something like a data strategy in order to help us say, right, this is where we want to be. And these are the steps along the way to get there to solve this issue that we've got. What's our vision? around that. So if you start from there, then it makes it much easier to have these conversations. If it is that we need to reduce the amount of spends we've got on a particular cost center. So if you start on that basis, okay, where is the data? Where are we holding it? What kind of processes are there around updating, creating and maintaining it? What kind of state is it in? Can we put some sort of measure around things like quality and validation on its own that's not helping you reduce any costs whatsoever but you know is your data in a good enough state for you to be able to sort of take it to that next level is it that there is a process issue is it that there is a staffing aspect to it you know how many people are running this particular operation is it at the right level is it that actually we could automate some of that particular process in order to reduce costs in that area. And actually, what would that consist of? Is there an aspect of something like process automation or something like a machine learning model, for example, that can help deliver? So focusing on it as an output means that you choose the right things in order to solve the problem that you've got. And I think, like you say, having that very clearly set out across the whole organisation, so you've got the input from everybody having a common understanding, that makes it so much easier when you all of a sudden say, well, we're, we're now changing this process to do this. Within, obviously, the housing space that you've worked in with a lot of experience, you've obviously got business issues, but you've also got that governance issue with the housing ombudsman. And so I just wondered how much would you say is being pushed by we've got to fit this in because it's a framework that we need to report on rather than actually being a sort of internal business process where there's a kind of we know that we need to understand our tenants better or we need to have a strategy for future smart homes for example do you see a change do you see a sort of change in behavior or a trend there that is going from one to the other or is that just another tick box that we need to do that's a really good question The regulatory responsibility has always been there. There's no change in that. I think all that's happened, particularly over the last few years, is that's increased. What I mean by that is there is more need to share more data at a more precise level with the regulator than there has been before. That need has always been there, though, but it's just increased over the last few years. And that's in response to the regulator changing and asking for more. So, you know, whether that's in response to something like building safety agenda or just actually the change in maturity of the regulator themselves as well. So their understanding is deepening around the systems and the technology and the approach, uh, the data that's being used to run registered social landlords. So there is that aspect. The other aspect is as organizations are using or investing more in their own technology, they've got much better ability to record and access the data they've they've recorded as well. So 
I don't think it's the case that, at least in my experience anyway, that the landlords haven't taken it seriously as always treated it as a box chicken exercise. I don't think that's the case. I think the challenge has always been getting access to that data in a way that is easy so that you can continue to reproduce it and replicate it and make it available to whoever, including the regulator, in a way that's required. I think that's been the challenge. I think that's more about potentially underinvestment in technology and, and things like process improvement over sort of maybe not sort of the last five years or so, but certainly the previous 15 to 20 years before that, I think you could argue the case that there had been underinvestment in those areas. And therefore, it was more difficult for teams to actually get some of this data together. What do you see are the sort of greatest opportunities within housing? If you've got a data-driven housing association, you know, the greatest opportunities that they would be able to change and they'd be able to actually use that technology to sort of drive their business forward. Can you see any particular areas? Oh, absolutely. It's very untapped. Housing associations are not competitors. There is the sector needs to provide homes to those who need them. And there is a massive dearth of those properties, those homes across the various levels as well, from your sort of traditional social rent up to your more modern sort of shared ownership approach. So those homes are needed, they're required. There is no competition. We need to make those homes available. We need to build those homes. If you think about the amount of data that all of those housing associations have that they can pull together, it's humongous. And for those who have been recording some of that data for a long time, you've maybe had a data warehouse, for example, for sort of 15, 20, 20 years plus, that's a lot of data to be able to utilize in order to use for some of those more modern techniques around forecasting. You know, some of those machine learning models, for example, that you can build that can help you forecast, estimate in a much better way if you pull more of your data together. So I think one area I think is there is not enough spent on this at the moment is where you've got several housing associations able to come together with trust, pull their data in order to use it to train their models in order to get better, more accurate forecasts across several areas, whether that's income or repairs related. And there is software on the market for both of those things, you know, in terms of being able to forecast areas, being able to forecast repairs events. However, I think there's a place for housing associations to work together without going through vendors necessarily in order to do that. So it's much more available to build those models yourself. The, the skills and expertise are, are much more available as well to help you build it. And I think that's definitely one area that should have more time and energy spent on it. I've been a really passionate advocate for data standards as well within the sector for a long time. And if you can all talk the same language when it comes to data, then those situations where you need to share and swap, so not just with the regulator, but with each other, where you are doing things like uh, stock swaps or stock acquisitions, which are pretty common, they can be quite difficult processes because you have one organization who's got one set of ways of working, particular systems that they use, record keeping might have been good or not over a period of time the sharing of someone else who have an entirely different set of expectations and, and data management and all the rest of it. If you're able to more quickly get into a situation where you can share that data, it just makes the whole process much smoother and much more accurate and ultimately a better experience for residents as well because nothing's being lost as you go through 
uh, process data standards, having a common reference point that you can both work inside and work towards gives you that understanding about what you are talking about when you talk about these key bits of data. So what does it mean to you when we say all of this stuff related to a property? What does it mean to you when we talk about all this stuff related to the rent associated with property as well? Lots of advantages that could be taken out of that. I was going to say, I think as well, there is an element of having somebody who can see that sort of vision and be able to ask the right questions to be able to use it, particularly if there is a governance sort of reporting that you need to do. It can be a very much, okay, we've done that, but we could be quite narrow about it. And obviously now, particularly if you are sharing data across housing associations and you've got that greater pool of information, then you can be more creative with actually, okay, what kind of things can this data tell us? How important do you think it is to have somebody in a housing association or in any organization, actually, that is the person that kind of gets that can be like a bit of a visionary or like you said, a data evangelist, you know, but is not shy of asking the questions which might not have been asked before and might seem a bit kind of curveball compared to being traditionally a technology issue. I think there's always several of them in an organization and they will go right across the levels in terms of the hierarchy of the organization as well that I've seen in my experience. I think the difference is being able to get from that person who, you know, just maybe very passionate about a particular area has seen maybe something that's worked elsewhere in terms of an approach and they can see how that can work here. It's getting that enthusiasm, that energy and putting it next to the right level of support. I think that's always been a challenge. As you go through the hierarchy, I think it becomes a lot easier to sell those ideas because you've got, you know, you might have the budget, you might have the support, you might have the ability to say, right, you know, we need to prioritize some effort over here because it's going to add a massive amount of value. So getting your voice heard is easier as you go into the more senior positions. But I think they've always existed and will always exist in terms of those passionate advocates having a supporting framework for them to work inside is fundamental though because they are not on their own they need to know how they can get some of these crazy ideas delivered or not or actually just rejected flat outright as well i think that in itself is quite useful because it just means that they can just focus on something else and they can stop banging that particular drum but at least it's a response either way so that supporting framework can exist in many formats it can be a person framework so a number of people who are doing kind of similar type roles have got the ability to have or have got something that gives them a connection with each other so sometimes when you you have a, a data organization it might be something similar to a uh, you might call it a data community for example so you'll have people who are analysts and maybe engineers and architects work inside this data community they work across different operational areas but they have that clear commonality between themselves and they're able to pose questions ask questions put ideas forward and all the rest of it so there is a group behind them and it's backed by a level of leadership that can help some of those things happen as well so maybe that's a crazy idea that suddenly just becomes a reality sometimes it's actually that there's nothing to do here apart from just share and help to inspire others and i think that's important as well because 
having that enthusiasm and seeing what others are doing in other areas, particularly for analysts as well, that's a fantastic thing. If you're able to lead by example, if you're able to lead through your action, it's going to inspire others as well. So making sure that's as visible as possible is really important. Bearing in mind that we are moving into this world of machine learning, where there are a lot of ML solutions that are sort of talked about in a kind of, this would be nice to have in a sandbox environment rather than actually coming to market. Is that something that you think will improve or would just take time? Or do you think with your experience that there is a better way to manage those sort of projects? Yeah, I think it's with control. So you need to have some assurance around that. Cost management when it comes to cloud platforms is really important. So those controls are fundamental before you do anything else. So you need to have that. I think with the mindset around this, so you mentioned sandbox and yeah, that's an environment to play in, but actually the mindset should be more, this is something that we want to get into production. So actually the aim is, yeah, we might need to kind of experiment slightly here, but actually the project is, it's got a clear defined output, which is to move it into a production environment, a production process by the end of it. I think with that kind of mindset, we're not going to be successful in every single situation, but with that approach, it means that you're better able to actually get some really successful outputs because you'll continue to deliver them with that particular approach. So you give people the opportunity to express themselves with the controls, but always with a very practical output, which means you need to make sure that it's something that is practical and has value at the end. In the housing space, there are so many exciting opportunities to be explored. When you sort of think, okay, it's yes, it's about people and obviously having homes, but then there's also about having better homes, <laughs> actually having more environmental homes or having better care of tenants, actually, as well. But I think that importance of having a use case of why you're actually doing the work is something that perhaps could be defined maybe a bit earlier on. I, mean, I know, obviously, from an analytic point of view, you need to be able to ask the questions of what we want the data to show us so that we can set it up in a correct way to get everything that we need. There's no point in kind of starting a project and thinking, oh God, you know, we should have spent some more actually kind of outlining that scope. Which opportunities do you think are the most exciting there that you think that housing space could really push the boundary on? I think some housing associations are already doing some of it and hopefully they can inspire others. So where we are enabling better access or access through our estates to consistent, cheap or free internet, for example. So, you know, that in itself is, it's a simple thing, but it's a really important fundamental thing for so many families to be able to access for work, to find work, for many things just actually just live in in today's society, essentially. So that's something that we've got the opportunity to share and deliver. So I think it's those kind of things it's some of the work that's happening around sustainability. So being able to better react to or proactively act, I should say, to events that are happening across homes, across blocks and sub-blocks, you know, those communal areas that we've got across our properties, rather than someone, you know, have to give us like, you know, there's a dodgy boiler or something via a phone call, we should be able to react to that ourselves. So using 
IoT helps, and there's lots of individual use cases for IoT, and, and lots of housing associations are starting to put out a lot of those devices in their homes, but it's still in its infancy, I think, uh, in terms of its use. So that's huge for residents um, in regards to having better outcomes for them. But also, actually, it's better for the housing association as well because there's savings in there for them. They can actually take action rather than having to just wait until it's maybe too late, those kind of scenarios. So those sort of areas, I think there's a lot more to explore. What do you think is your sort of take on the kind of data governance? Who should be sort of driving the data agenda within housing? Do you think it should be the housing associations? Do you think it should be the residents and tenants? Or do you think it should actually be government? Housing associations need to run their business effectively. So they are responsible for their approach to data management, including data governance. So that's where it starts. The regulator needs to be clear about what their expectations are. And I think they're doing that even more strongly. There was a recent paper that made several recommendations around information management that came from the ombudsman. So, you know, they are being quite clear about what's required. I think with the regulator over the next few years, for things like the way that you return your data to them, I think that they're going to be asking for more granular data as the next few years go by, because they're asking some pretty basic questions in the way that they're currently asking for data. A lot of that data is aggregated. If you've got the lowest level of data, you can do whatever you want with that to a certain degree, as long as you've got access to it. I think it would help the sector as well, because rather than sort of say to them, give us your data and you know we want you to apply this particular calculation or filter on it, give it back to us and then tell them actually you've got it wrong because there's a small gray area in the language that they've used in the um, documentation, they can do it themselves because they've got all the raw data. So the ability for the, you know, the housing associations to make mistakes becomes more limited. The regulator gets a quicker response all round because they've got the full data set rather than a, a sort of an aggregated data set. And I think that's quite a powerful thing, but the regulator's got to be ready to do it. You know, they've got to be ready to go down to that level. They've got to be ready to accept the increased volumes of data that we're talking about so that they can do more with it. That's definitely an aspect. For residents, the residents need to know that their data, anything that's associating them and their interactions with the housing association are stored, they're clear, they're secure. They're really important factors. They should just be a given, really. And if we're not fulfilling those responsibilities, then quite rightly, we need to suffer the consequences of it, whether that's through the ICO, whether that's through the uh, social housing regulator themselves. So it's down to the, the housing associations to be on top of this. And I don't think there's any excuse to not be clear about your approach to data governance and data management. It doesn't have to be a multi-million pound program. It just needs something that says we are enacting our responsibilities in this way and we have these people accountable in the organization in order to run them so that's where your your governance team will come into it you might be of a size where actually you're not going to have a data team you're too small for that but you will have some level of governance that will say you know this is our approach to this area to data governance to data management overall that can provide assurance to both residents and the regulator 
If you were saying about seeing somebody coming into the industry now, specifically as well into the housing data space, what sort of skills do you think that person would need? Because it seems to me housing, as opposed to other industries, that because of that duty of care to residents, rather than you saying like, you know, it's not uh, competition is such as kind of business competition would be, that actually there needs to be an understanding of culture and change management as well as basically the kind of this is what the tech can do what skills do you think that somebody coming into the industry now ideally would have well firstly they're very welcome to come in it might sound like an obvious statement but the reason why i say it is that there was definitely an impression of those people who worked in social housing that they weren't necessarily someone who might have an incredible amount of ambition and were particularly modern in terms of their way of thinking because the housing associations themselves didn't necessarily have the kind of funding model that would support lots of investment in technology, etc. I think that perception of the housing sector has changed over the last few years. So many of the, of the particularly the larger housing associations are spending on major transformation programs, they are utilizing all of the modern approaches to improving overall data architecture and the way to integrate between various systems and better use of data across all of them as well. So I think the salaries are changing as well overall from what I can see. I mean, there's research that supports how the social housing are paying well in comparison to other sectors when it comes to, the, you know, the, the particularly in the kind of the data roles that we're talking about here as well. I mean, obviously, that's reflective of society as a whole in terms of, you know, more pay for data roles, but housing is no different in that case. I would like to think those people coming into social housing are there because they want to make a difference. So they're not just coming in and selling widgets. Nothing wrong with selling widgets. We all need widgets. But what we do every day in the sector does make a difference, has an impact on people's lives. And I think we're lucky to be doing that. I certainly consider myself lucky to have worked in the sector for so long where you can have such a, a huge positive impact overall. So that's a great thing. There is a definite need to help the organization continue to mature. So I think those people who are Patient enough, maybe patient's not a great choice of word, but certainly understanding enough to share their knowledge and expertise with those in the sector who might not necessarily have had the same, let's call it modern, approach to some of these areas like data architecture, like analytics, for instance. So that's getting that external experience into the sector has been great because so many others are going to learn from it. And taking your current teams who might not necessarily have some of those skills with you i think is so important because you'll have those who maybe they've worked in the sector because they just really love working in the sector maybe they've just been there because they've always been there maybe they've fallen into it doesn't really matter if they're the kind of staff that you need and you want to kind of continue to cherish and help learn and develop and all the rest of it and they also have the passion and the empathy for what we're doing in the sector. You want to keep those staff. They're absolutely golden, but you want to bring them with you. So you might be doing something brand new. You might be creating a new integration platform, for example, that's using cloud technology, new approaches. Everything's brand new. You know, nothing the internal team have come across before. 
taking them with you, you know, that transition between bringing in external expertise to help you build what you need, but taking your internal staff with you so that they are able to then contribute to begin with in a very sort of modest way, just with their experience about the actual data within organizations so that, you know, they know the data, they know the processes, no external partner's going to understand that. So that's really important. And it's partly because it's a great sector to work in, but it's also because everyone's maturing at different rates and those people that expertise is needed by others at various times. And I was going to say the Housing Association, I think, famous for how many mergers and acquisitions are going on at the time, at one time or another. So, yeah, I think that sort of sharing of skill sets is probably quite open compared to actually in a lot of other industries as well. Do you think we're going to end up with kind of just a handful of five giant housing associations? I mean, or do you think it's going to stay as we are now with kind of the different size? I hope not. You can understand the economic business case for the mergers and acquisitions, you know, economies of scale and all the rest of it. Totally get that, understand it. There is always a risk that you lose your local connection in those type of scenarios. So I, I don't think that's always necessarily a positive thing. I mean, sometimes being smaller means that you're better able to react more quickly to things because you've got feet on the ground. You know, you're better able to respond in a way that, you know, if you're part of a larger group, sometimes you can't because it all becomes a little bit more corporate, potentially. So so I think there needs to be a balance between the two. I certainly hope we don't continue to have what we have and it will end up in, you know, 15 large housing associations running a lot. I don't, I don't think that's healthy, but there's certainly a lot that the medium and smaller HAs can learn from some of the larger ones uh, in terms of sharing of learning, sharing of expertise, sharing of frameworks that have been built out. I think that's something that we should see more of. So more of this kind of collaborative environment to share knowledge in order to ultimately have better experiences for our residents. Some interesting issues raised there by Barry. Join us for the next episode of the Red Olive Fibonacci podcast, where we'll be joined by another data expert, sharing their thoughts on the latest trends in AI and big data, along with some great hints and tips. Make sure you subscribe to the Red Olive Fibonacci podcast from wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss it. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Nikki Rudd. See you next time.